0: Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the hub. So, so good to be here. So, all I know about 2022 is that God is in control that he has it all together, that he knows exactly what's going to happen, and he's going to be there with us every single step of the way. That is all we need to know <laughs> about 2022. Um, I do want to just say to Zilas that I'm happy to enter into a fat share swap with you, uh, if, if you would like to, and he's, he's welcoming it. Okay, we'll chat after the service. <laughs> I've got too much and he's got too little. When he said he's losing weight, I'm like, what are you losing? <laughs> It could be dangerous. (laughs) Awesome. So um, we are busy with prayer and fasting. Uh, Who has managed to fast in any way over the last week? (laughs) God bless you. God strengthen you. (laughs) But fasting without prayer is kind of useless. And I I managed to go to all five prayer meetings this last week, and I just loved it. The praise God. But I really just loved it. The presence of God was so real, and there was just such a sense of community and of God just doing something in our midst. So if you can make the prayer meetings on Thursday and the following Thursday, please do that. So um, we are in our, you're, you're coming to the Hub in our second week of Abide, the power and beauty of God's Word. And so the original title for the sermon was, The Word Brings Life. But I felt like the Hub needed its own unique title for the sermon. And so I've called the sermon, Fetch Your Life. It's hidden in the Word. <laughs> are you ready for what's going to happen tonight? fetch your life. So John chapter 6 verse 68 is one of my all-time favorite scriptures, and it says this, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Now, if you read the whole chapter uh, 6 of John, you find a really interesting story, a strange story, a story that proves that cancel culture has been around for well over 2,000 years. Lyric, or did you know that? Because what happens in the story is Jesus is teaching his followers, not just the disciples, but all the people who are following him who think he's a phenomenal rabbi, who think he's a phenomenal teacher, who are all kind of hoping that he's going to do something political to set them free from the oppression of Rome. And Jesus says some very shocking things. In fact, profoundly shocking things to the ancient Hebrew mind. Um, Cannibalism is expressly forbidden in the Old Testament. Did you know that? (laughs) It is. And Jesus, for like six verses, goes on and basically just says in three different ways, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you will have no part in the salvation that God is about to bring to the earth. And they ask him the question because they think, is this symbolic? And he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Now, we just had communion. That was not human flesh or human blood. Who's grateful for that? <laughs> so obviously, he was talking symbolically. But the point that he was doing is that he was trying to teach them, I am the Messiah. I am the promise, the 5,000, 7,000-year-old promise that your entire faith is built on. How do you think I am anything less than that? And because of the strong teaching, they leave him. A vast number leave him. They literally unfollow him. They cancel him right then and there. And this is the context of what is happening here. Because the disciples are so shocked and worried that people have left. And they think that it's diminishing Jesus, but Jesus challenged them. He says, who do you think I am? Are you going to go as well because of what I've said? And at this point, Simon Peter steps up in faith, and he says this thing, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else will we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. And that word life in the original Greek is the word zoe, zoe, in English, zoe, a beautiful girl's name. It literally means life. But Zoe is a life. Zoe is a life that comes directly from God. It is the God kind of life. It is a life that is real and genuine, active and vigorous, a life devoted to God. Zoe is a life filled with freedom and joy and hope. Everything that our hearts desire. Who doesn't want some freedom and joy and hope tonight? So when Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you have the words of life, he is saying to him, when you speak, when I hear the words that come out of your mouth, when I listen to what you are saying, zoe activates in my heart. The God kind of life awakens in me. You see, the word of God brings life. Because Jesus himself is life. He is the life of God. Your life is hidden in the Word, and we're going to go and fetch it tonight. So now, when Peter says this beautiful phrase, he's actually quoting Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus says, The Spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Can you see, it's five scriptures before Peter makes his declaration. So what I take from that is that Peter paid attention to the words that Jesus spoke. He didn't just hear them, but he listened to them. You see, hearing is a given. If you have ears and they are correctly wired to your brain, You can hear. And we hear things all the time, just as Lyrica crossed his legs, we all heard the chair squeak. (laughs) We need to sort that front row out, it's very squeaky. Um, So hearing is a given, we hear all the time. But listening is a choice. Listening is an intentional decision to pay attention. Now we know that this is right because this thing, you know, we can be in any public space, we're just waiting in a queue, we pop an earbud in, and I mean, we you know, a bomb could go off, Uh, people could start running, but we're just here. We don't hear anything, we're not listening to anything, we're just here. And this is the issue of what is happening here, is that Peter teaches us a lesson, And he says, don't just hear the words of Jesus, but listen to them. So I've got a difficult question for us tonight. Isn't it funny that God introduces his word to us as something that brings life, as something that brings freedom? Yet to so many people, they have experienced the word of God as a symbol of bondage, of restraint, of oppression. And guys, that's not just the people out there. That's us sitting here. Do we believe that the Bible just gives us rules to live by, that it forces restrictions on us that kill our vibe, that it won't allow for our individual expression? Is it just about rules and commands that we have to obey? And if we don't, God gets angry and he punishes us. See, the Bible has been used to justify a thousand atrocities. It absolutely has. Right here in our very own South Africa, apartheid came about because people took scriptures out of the Bible and misquoted them. The oppression of women, the oppression of all kinds of groups that we consider other than has been justified through Scripture. It's come about because people twist interpretations to suit their own prejudice and their own bias. Now, one of the things I have really, really enjoyed learning about, I've been studying a theology sort of indirectly. I'm actually studying a counseling course, but it's through the South African Seminary School of, of Biblical. Uh, seminary. And I've really been enjoying this. And so inadvertently, I'm I'm studying theology at the same time. But the thing I've loved that that really I'd never thought about before is that obviously theology is the study of God. Uh, We can't study God directly. We can't sit him down at a desk and interview him. But we have his divine revelation. So that's theology. We study God through his divine revelation. But the second part of the definition of theology is that we study the practice of faith of God's people. And this is fascinating, because we literally have a library of 2,000 plus years of how people have interpreted the Bible. What that means is that we are at a point in history where we can look back across church history, and we can find groups or communities or individuals who interpreted Scripture in a certain way, and we can see how that played out in their theology. We can see if they interpreted well or interpreted badly by the fruit that came from that interpretation. Isn't that fascinating? Now, Ecclesiastes tells us that there's there's nothing new under the sun. And the Bible is limited within its physical reality. It's just one book. It only has so many words, so many sentences or verses or chapters or books in it. And so, theoretically, over 2,000 years, we've literally interpreted every one of those words, verses, chapters, whatever, Uh, uh, we've interpreted them. Maybe every interpretation we can put upon them has come upon them. Look, people are quite creative, so there might be some new things coming our way. But what that means is, is we can look back and see, was that healthy? Did it create fruit? Was it good theology or was it bad? And so, for example, with apartheid, we can look back, we can see the pain, the suffering, the oppression that came because of the way certain verses were interpreted. And we can categorically state that was bad theology. And anybody who wants to reinterpret Scripture that way, we can look them in the face and say, look here, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. This is bad theology." In the same way, we can look back and see the practice of God's people and say, wow, that is good theology. So the Word of God brings life. And the words Jesus speaks are life. So why do so many of us experience the Word as bondage? And the simple answer is this. We choose religion over relationship. We choose the letter of the law over the freedom of relationship with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, verse, uh, sorry, verse 3, no, chapter 3, verse 5 to 6 says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the capital S there is the Holy Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So implicit in the concept of life is relationship. Not one of us present in this room here tonight would be here without relationship. Your mom and dad had a relationship. In fact, they straight up had relations. That's why we're here, but we're not going to think about that too much tonight. But the truth about relationship is that it's hard, is that it's difficult. You see, relationships require a lot from us. They require our presence, our time, our attention, our vulnerability, our willingness Our whole heart and person. Relationship costs us a lot. Relationships are difficult because of this fallen world that we live in. Family is God's idea. And when He instituted family, the point was that it would be a place of safety, it would be a place of nurture. It would be a place of love and being cherished for who we are and not what we bring. A place of security. A place of belonging. A place that launches us out with healthy emotional connection into the world so we can live our purpose and destiny. But sadly, due to sin entering the world, due to a fallen, broken world, family, can now be a place of so much pain and suffering and damage. See, people are not perfect. We make mistakes. We make bad choices. Parents are people. They make mistakes. They make bad choices. Divorce early death of a parent, addiction, abuse, mental health issues, and so many other difficult things, teach us that we have to hide our hearts and ourselves away. Teach us to protect ourselves above all else. And this makes relationship difficult. (laughs) God, on the other hand, (laughs) is so completely whole and undamaged and perfect that he just comes at us with all of that. And I think this is what offends us most about him. He has no hidden agenda. He has no insecurity. He is so utterly and completely and unapologetically himself that we can't handle him. It's like he's so extra to us. Like He's so vulnerable and open and unhidden that we don't know what to do with our broken selves before him. See, God doesn't relate to us the way we relate to ourselves and to other people. He doesn't play games. He's got nothing to prove. He is who he is. We can like it or lump it. It's as simple as that. That actually is the ideal of health. Not that we go out of our way to offend people, but this is me. You get to choose whether you want me in your life or not. That's healthy. This nonsense where we try and make everybody love us and care about us and see the best in us, it's not how it's supposed to be. I present myself, and it's your choice whether you want me or not. And if you don't, go away. (laughs) Simple as that. And not everybody will get us. That's something I've had to learn in 50 years of living, and praise God I learned it, because in my 20s, I was so codependent, it was awful. I hated myself, I hated the world, I hated God, but it was all my stupidity. Because I didn't realize that I was trying to impress everybody and trying to make everybody like me, and all it was was exhausting and damaging and horrible. And at 50, I can tell you straight up, if you don't get me, that's okay. All it means is you don't get me. Simple as that. But God is who He is. The problem for us is that we have to get Him. (laughs) (laughs) Because without him, there is no point. And the only way we're going to get God is that we're going to have to let him heal us. He's going to have to come and fetch us. And he does. Who has been fetched by God? (laughs) Now, on the one hand, yay. On the other hand, stay away. No, don't make me. If we have to be real, why? Because it hurts like hell. Because he forces us to see ourselves. You know, there's a scripture in the Psalms that says, in his light, we become light. What is that saying? Well, God is absolute light. And I've had to learn that the problem with that is, is when I come to him, because we love to come to God. We love to come in worship. We love to come in prayer. But when I come to God, because he is light, every bit of darkness in me gets shown up. But you see, in my brokenness, I interpret that as God rebuking me. I interpret that as God judging me. I interpret that as God shouting at me. But that's not what happened. It's because I refuse to look at myself. So when His light shines on me, I feel shame. He is just who He is. There's no judgment. And so I have to learn how to bring my brokenness to Him. And this is relationship. See, religion is a transaction. If I don't swear, don't sleep around, if I do give my money, if I do clap um, my hands loud enough, then God will do this. That's a transaction, it's a contract. But relationship is me standing naked before God because He's naked to us. The Bible says He's robed in light. That's not clothes. <laughs> It's so bright we can't see him. <laughs> Sorry, that got a bit human there. But he isn't, God is naked to all intents and purposes because he's got nothing to hide. But we are hiding all the time. And this is why relationship is hard. And this is why it's easy for us to choose religion over relationship. And this is why we perceive the word of God as bondage rather than freedom and life. You see, sometimes as Christians, we make up what we think God wants for us. And ironically, often it's a much higher standard than God actually has for us. God's standard is absolute perfection. Have you ever been absolutely perfect? Will you ever absolutely be perfect? So who is absolutely perfect? Who is absolutely perfect? Yes, God, but who? Who has the words of life? So me trying to be absolutely perfect is just me trying to stand in Jesus' place. God knew he would never make it, so Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood so that he could reconcile man to God. How does he do that? Because he stands in our place. We are hidden in Christ. What does that mean? It means when God looks at us, he sees us through Jesus. He doesn't see my perfection because he'll never find it. But he sees me perfect in Jesus. This is what it means when we say Jesus is Lord. You see, we come to Jesus, we say, yes, Lord, I've sinned. Yes, you're the only thing. Yes, Lord, I trust you. Now, you just stand over there, and I'm going to work really hard till I'm good enough. Doesn't impress God. Jesus impresses God. (laughs) So what am I doing? So now I'm making up a list that I think I should should live up to. No! Hide yourself in Jesus. We try and live up to a standard we formulate out of our own brokenness so that we don't have to suffer the kind of vulnerability that having a loving, living relationship with God requires from us. It's hard, people if you could see my spiritual body, there are burn marks on it (laughs) from when I had to be vulnerable with God. (laughs) But when I look at those burn marks now, in my imagination, of course, I'm so blessed by them. Because every one of those burn marks reminds me how loved I am, how cherished I am how good my father is. But I'm also broken, and I also have weird things. And so when I'm in the throes of it, I forget that. And I also choose religion over relationship. And God has to come and remind me, and then he shows me the burn marks. And I'm like, okay, it's going to burn again. But the burn is not his anger. The burn is not his punishment. I deal with this all the time in counseling. I gossiped, and then my car got stolen. I lusted, and then my grandmother died. Is that who God is? But we do think that. I have had it said to me a million times. I've said it to God. Who is he? And this is bad theology. And And we've got to look at our lives, because there's things we say we believe, but then we practice bad theology. When it actually happens, our theology manifests. And if your theology is only coming off this instrument... If you spend more time on socials than you do in the Bible, that's your theology. Who are you offline? Think of the people you follow on your, you know, head down, phone up. (laughs) Who are they offline? That's all that matters. What are we trying to live up to? We would rather focus on a checklist, a to-do list, a don't touch this or you will die list. But all that happens is that those things just keep us focused on sin and how bad we are and we just keep failing and then that makes us hide from God even more. And the problem with that is then we get angry with Him and we blame Him. Barrier after barrier after barrier between us and Him. Barrier after barrier after barrier that just keeps us from relationship with Him. And so, when we experience the word of God as bondage, as restriction, we have to understand we have chosen religion over relationship. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 to 7a, says this This is um, Moses asks God if he can see him. Isn't that just awesome? It's kind of childlike, isn't it? Can I just see you? And God knows is that he really wants to show him, but God knows if he shows Moses who he really is, it'll be like a nuclear explosion plus a billion, and there won't be anything left. <laughs> but God says, you can, I will pass by you, and you will catch a glimpse of my back. And that's all Moses thinks is going to happen. And, and God puts Moses into the cleft of the rock. There's a little space in the rock, and he pushes him in there, and then he passes by. And time stops. Moses doesn't, it feels like a second to Moses. To the Israelites down there, it's like, what, how many weeks? I can't remember. that they, they thought Moses was never coming back, so they make a golden calf while the glory is manifesting right in front of their People, help us. But this is where this comes from. And, and think about this for a minute. No man has asked God to see him yet. No, it's never happened. Moses is the first one. God has a blank slate. God could have sat there in heaven and thought, now, who, how am I going to reveal myself? How, what am I going to say? Hmm. This is God stroking his big white beard. <laughs> what am I going to say? And he could, have, he could have said, I am the almighty one. I demand unyielding, unflinching obedience. He could have said, I am the holy one. You will do exactly what I say. But this is what God chooses to say. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And so what the Lord chooses to declare about himself is this. This, is this your God? Is this your theology? Next time you sin, is this where you're coming? Or are you going to try and fix it yourself? Who is God? It doesn't matter who we think he is. It doesn't matter who a well-meaning or bad-meaning pastor told us God is. This word of God tells us who he is. And that's what we have to follow. See, the Word of God is life because it reveals the God of life to us. When we read the Bible, it is our choice whether we are going to look for the bare minimum standard of behavior and compliance to get us into heaven or whether we're going to find Him. What are we after? Do we just hear His words or are we going to listen to them? Are we going to try and superimpose our prejudice and bias on Scripture? Are we going to superimpose our hurt and pain from our broken relationships on God and His Bible? Or are we going to let the Bible confront us, offend us, and challenge us to be vulnerable and honest with God and ourselves so we can participate in a loving, living relationship with this amazing being who made us and formed us for relationship. We were made for love, from love, for love. It's all about relationship. The the first reason we should read the Bible, the very first reason that our life is hidden in the Word of God is relationship. James Merritt says that the primary purpose of reading the Bible is not to know the Bible, but to know God. It's our choice whether we read the Bible to just try and figure out what God wants from us so we don't actually have to engage with Him. Do you see what I'm saying? If all I'm concerned is, am I pleasing God, what is actually happening? I don't want to deal with Him. I just want to tick those boxes, and then I can carry on with my life but don't bring that light here. Don't show me my darkness. Are we going to, is that how we choose to read the Bible? Or is it so we can find Him in it? Find a true knowledge of Him so that He can totally shatter our defense mechanisms, our coping mechanisms. Because that's where healing lies. If you will not be vulnerable, you will never be healthy. never, never. Never. I know that. I hate being vulnerable. (laughs) But all I know is every time I am, it's amazing. Yes, I walk away with the burn. (laughs) But man, it's good. I fight all the time. We fight to hide. We fight to stay the same. But oh my word, when we just let him in, man. Dwight L. Moody said the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. You see, knowledge doesn't transform us, but relationship does. Every one of you has been impacted by a relationship. Reading a book can, wow, it can change your mind, it can open up ideas. But when you meet somebody who loves you and cares about you, that blows you open. Unfortunately, in our broken human place, it ends up hurting us and making us hide away more. But when it comes to God, the universe is the limit. So, do we want to just get information or do we want transformation? And it's our choice. God offers opportunity, God opens doors. Are we taking them? Are we walking in? He will not force us. God is not a puppeteer. This nonsense that my whole life is predestined in what. One... God wants our participation. Faith is agreeing with Him. And He wants us to instigate. He wants us to know Him so much. For example, I never ask God, should I prophesy? I just ask God to give me a word. Why? Because I know Him. All I know about God is that He wants to encourage and bless and make people aware of His presence. I never ask should I prophesy. I ask for a word. Sometimes I don't get the word. Then I can't prophesy. But do you see the difference? I instigate prophecy because I know why God wants to do it. Do you understand? But I can't prophesy if He doesn't speak. So I want to get really practical tonight and prove it, and I purposely didn't write any of this out, so I don't know how it's going to come across. (laughs) But yeah, here we go. Are you brave? Strap on your seatbelt. Um, So it's something I've been thinking about for quite a number of years. I found myself quoting scriptures, but as as I've read the Bible and stuff, I realize I keep quoting half-scripture. I keep quoting the promise. So for example, and I don't want to get into it tonight, but it's something it's good for us to to think about. I was having a debate with somebody about whether or not you can lose your salvation. Now, I'm not going to come to definitive answers tonight, but somebody was very much for the fact that you cannot lose your salvation, and they started quoting scriptures, and every single scripture they quote was the end part of a scripture. They never quoted the beginning part. I started quoting why I think, you know, just as, a, as an academic. And I realized I'm, I'm going on the other side, but I'm also only quoting half the scripture. <laughs> See, this is bad theology. <laughs> we take the full counsel of God, not what we hope it is, not what we want it to be, but what it is. So like I say, that isn't the point of what I'm doing tonight is whether or not we can lose our salvation. But this, this started making me realize that when I read a promise in Scripture, and in the New Testament, I want to challenge you on this. Every promise you hold, there's a condition before the promise. Every promise is conditional. The one that absolutely is not that I know for certain is I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you. That has no condition. That's an absolute unconditional promise of God. But almost every other one does. And I've used that word condition, and that's how I've lived, and so I've tried to focus on that and make sure I quote the full scripture and I interpret the full scripture, not just the bit I like. As I just want to say this the Bible isn't magic, okay? And declaring promises is good. Declaring scriptures is good. Please do it. The more we do it, the more we learn scripture is great. But what I've realized is the devil doesn't get scared because we can quote a scripture. He really doesn't. In fact, in Jesus' temptation, we see the devil quoting more scripture to Jesus than Jesus quotes to him. The devil's been around. He watched the Bible get written. He knows it backwards. He knows it way better than we do. He's not scared when we declare scripture. He declared scripture to Jesus. What the devil is terrified about is when that scripture lives in our heart and we stand on it like it's true and we act out what it's saying. That's what terrifies the devil. So when you're declaring scripture, are you fulfilling the conditions? But Matilda over there, isn't she amazing? Her and I were having a chat, and I was, she was, I was sharing a bit of what I wanted to talk about tonight, and we had a chat, and then she came back to me in one prayer, prayer meeting, and she said, you know, I've been thinking about what we spoke about, and, and she quoted a scripture to me, and she said, but actually those conditions are relationship. And I was like, yes. And I had this experience in November where a young man came to me and he'd been reading through the book of Proverbs to find some spirituality and to you know, excite his life for God. And he was loving the book of Proverbs and he had found so much wisdom, but he was very frustrated because he'd been praying promises and he felt like God wasn't answering. Anybody ever been there, ever frustrated with God? Well done. Yes, vulnerable right there. You are going to be blessed. Everybody else... No, just kidding. Just kidding. God is amazing. Um, And he was really genuinely frustrated. So I said, okay, well, what promises particularly? So you opened Proverbs chapter 3, and we started reading, and he started showing me these promises. And he'd written the promises out, and he was declaring, declaring the promises. So I've got two examples here. So let's start with the first one, Proverbs 3, verse 3 to 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So what is the promise there? There we go. Now, how many conditions are in the first scripture? JCC is four. I see three. It doesn't really matter. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. That's the first condition I see. Maybe you're, are you seeing two? Yeah, but I get it. Um, Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. But now, steadfast love. That sounds like relationship, doesn't it? Faithfulness. Hmm. Do not let God's steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. What is forsake? Leave you. Forget about you. I think it's also saying, do not let your steadfast love and faithfulness for God forsake you. It's relationship. That's all it is. Love God, trust in His faithfulness. Number two, bind them around your neck. Now imagine if you tied it on a necklace. Where do do they hang? Write them on the tablet of your heart. Don't write it in a book. Don't write a book about them. (laughs) Write it on the tablet of your heart. It's not good enough that they're just hanging around your neck. Can you see it's just relationship with Jesus? Jesus. What happens when you don't forget God's love and faithfulness, when you've got them on your neck and you've written it in your heart? So this revelation came to me. The promise is secure. Why are we praying for the promise? It's absolute. What we should be focusing on is the relationship with God. I want favor and good success on the side of God and man. You want it. Absolutely. Well, how do we get it? We do not let the steadfast love of God and faithfulness forsake us. And we write them on our heart. Why do we then get favor and good success? Because we are like God then in the sense that I don't care what you think about me, this is who I am. You want me to work for you because I'm righteous and I'm morally upright and I will give you good work. You want to hire me, you want to do business with me. Do you see what I'm saying? But we spend all our time getting so upset with God because the promise isn't manifesting with us in our lives, but we didn't have relationship with him. You can go to the next slide. We know this one so well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What's the promise? Healing to your flesh, refreshment to, you. oh Jesus, after the last two years, we all need healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. What are the conditions? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own. Trust. Trust is the issue of relationships. You do not trust somebody you don't like. You do not trust somebody you're angry with. You do not trust somebody you're blaming. Trust is like this. If I only trust you 5%, I don't trust you. If I only trust you 75%, I don't trust you. It says it in the positive. Trust the Lord. And then it says it in the negative. Don't lean on your own understanding. Leaning on your own understanding is not trusting in God. But can you see relationship? Without relationship, how will you trust? Without a knowledge of God, how will you trust Him? There it is. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That's not just like, hey, God. He will make straight your paths. Another little mini promise in there. Do you want straight paths? Acknowledge God. What is it saying? Know Him. Can you see in acknowledge is the word know. Trust Him. Know Him. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now that fear the Lord gives us problems. But that fear the Lord is relationship. That fear the Lord is saying, God, I know you are better than me, bigger than me, higher than me. I know you have my best interests at heart, so I am turning away from evil because I think these things will satisfy me. But when I fear you, I trust your authority. Can you see? It's all relationship. That's all it is. So I want to encourage you, when you read the Bible, underline the conditions. The promise is secure absolutely secure. What promise do you want to see manifested in your life? You better get into relationship. You better understand the condition, and the condition is relationship. There's no other condition. It's not transactional. Does this make sense to you? Is this going to help you read your Bible better? Are you going to practice good theology? (laughs) Well, there we go. So the Word of God is life. Your life is hidden in the Word. Go and fetch it. Father, we just thank you for your goodness tonight. Thank you that your word is so full of life. Jesus, thank you that you are life itself. Thank you that you speak the words of life. God, forgive us for going to anywhere else and help us from now on to just go to you to hear the words of life, Lord God. Thank you for the promises you make, but thank you that above that you want relationship with us. And just where you are, think about your relationship with God. Have you experienced the word as bondage, as oppression, as restriction? Have you chosen religion over relationship? This is not a heavy thing. It's just acknowledging to the Lord. Yes, I did that, Lord. I've done that. Now ask him to to make you brave because we're going to need some courage if we're going to be vulnerable with him. God, it's hard. It's difficult. We're so used to hiding away, Lord. Give us courage tonight. Make us brave. Lord. God, you know everything about us. There is nothing surprising or shocking to you. God, things we don't even know about ourselves, you know. And you still love us. And you still want to be with us. So nothing we're going to tell you tonight is anything new to you. You didn't send lightning out of the sky to destroy us when you knew it. You're not going to do that when we tell you. God, we want vulnerable relationship with you. Now tell him that. Now, all I would like you to do before the Lord is make a commitment that you're going to try and be vulnerable with him and ask him to help you. And God, that's how we want to live with you from here on out, Lord. We want to know you, God. We want to let you know us, Lord God. God, we want some burns on our soul that remind us how much you love us, how good you are. We choose life over religion. Amen.